Hello, this is the house on Valencia Street, and I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics of conversation will include ghosts and the paranormal and psychic ability. We'll discuss also domestic violence, murder, femicide, suicide, you know, looking the other way and accommodating someone with a particular race, gender, and socioeconomic demographic, and um, forcing us to move into a big, rickety old haunted house where we lived for years. And that house was on Valencia Street in Walla Walla, Washington. And I experienced some things there as a young child growing into an adult that I'd never seen before. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. That house, I, I have dreams about this house still in my 50s, and I've got sisters in their 60s who still also have dreams about this house still. We don't talk to each other, but we talk about this house because three out of four of daughters saw ghosts in that house, and some very, there's some very strange things that happened there. Opening that door brings us to a place where we can talk about recovery and healing, how it can be kind of traumatic to experience things that you can't tell people about because you're going to be judged or shamed for it. Feminine and intuitive, empathic, psychic ability, stuff of this nature, which is typically, typically gendered female, and then more of a scientific XYZ coordinate type of science knowledge, which is considered valid while the other is not, and it's heavily gendered. We talk about uh, some difficult topics here. 12-step uh, recovery, kink, BDSM, willful education, spirituality, religion, Buddhism, agnosticism, atheism, the afterlife, near-death experiences, um, spirit guides, things of this nature, and empathy. Empathy is always a big topic. Some of these topics can be triggering, and you might want to evaluate and use your discernment and see whether or not these are things that you'd like to listen to right now or if it's in your best interest. If you've got mental health stuff that's kicking up, you should probably talk to a licensed board-certified therapist, someone who can give you context and is educated. Yeah? That is not me. I am not a licensed board-certified therapist, although this is one case study of one person and how they survived and recovered and focus on healing every day. So there's a website you can go to if you want to check out my content is anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, M-O-H-M-A-H. You'll find my podcast, my notes, and you can click on uh, five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month to sponsor me. Uh, this is important to me because it's about my ancestors and I talk about them heavily here. I also talk about some of the knowledge that we don't normally get to acknowledge that exists. This ancestor penetration. I like thinking about my ancestors and talking about them. So that's what we're doing here. In addition to many things. Yes. So, and I like the fact that you can choose one topic or you can choose several and just roll with it, you know, because I'll, I'll go through all kinds of things if I got good enough company, you know what I mean? So let's see. Is there anything else you want to cover? Mm. If mental health stuff is kicking up for you, I've got a couple 800 numbers in my notes. You can check those out and give them a call in the middle of the night if something's kicking up for you. I think those are the key, po key points, key components. Hey, uh, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday morning. Um, there's been a couple things kicking around in my brain. Uh, I've been evaluating when to reach back. And I'm not quite sure how to put that into words, but at what point do you reach back and let yourself get back into connecting to someone who you greatly loved, who may have died, or the relationship may have ended poorly, or what have you? When or how do you discipline yourself to think about it or not? So when to reach back is kind of the topic on here today. 
I think I'll get started though with uh, talking a little bit about this process. I was doing some research on my ancestors. Um, my mama's name is Darlene. Grandma's uh, Mildred and uh, my mama's father was Delbert. So it was Delbert and Mildred. They were the parents of my mama, Darlene. My father, I don't really need to talk about too much since he abandoned me and he had nine children from three women and was very abusive and I'll just kind of let him sit aside. And every time I think of him, I stop and I, I pray and I go, God, I pray for the world to forgive my father. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm in my fifties. Maybe by the time I get to 100, I'll, I'll get the, the forgiveness gene on that one. Um, so we're not quite there yet. Researching, uh, I was researching my family and I just started digging around and thinking about my grandpa, Grandpa Delbert struck by lightning and uh, through the hand of his dad, Charles. And um, I started thinking about them and going, you know, I'd like to see more photos of them. I've only got a couple photos of my grandpa. And I started searching on his name. And then I started popping up. A lot of names started popping up in correlation that I kind of vaguely remembered, but I didn't, hadn't really visited them since mom has passed a couple decades ago. And I started thinking, oh, yeah, check this out, check this out. And I was looking through these rosters, and, and one of the siblings of my grandma raped my mother when she was two. So I was looking through this list of uh, on my grandma's side of the family, and there's all these names like Bertha and Ruth and these old-fashioned names, um, Irene. And yet I'm looking at that list, and then I realized while I was looking through the list of all these siblings of my my ancestors and I was going, oh yeah, mom acknowledged that she had been raped too by her uncle. And I know she was close to one of her uncles and she loved one of them, but I didn't know which one it was and she didn't name him. And my, my grandma had at least six siblings. So, and four of them were male and one of them was dead by 20. Um, so I don't know which one of them did that to mom. Although I'd like to figure out which one it is. Because <laughs> I was looking through it and I was going, oh, there's grandma's side of the family. And then I was like, uh-oh, one of them is, you know. And that's probably where grandma got used to, on some level, looking the other way when it came to incest and sexual abuse, you know. So reaching back and looking over some of my family ancestry and thinking about where they were born and what context they died in and lived in. And I found a couple nuggets. Um my great-grandpa, Charles, who died in the mid-1910s, 1920s, he was pretty popular, and they had a they had a big old mess of kids, my, my great-grandpa. I hadn't really thought about um, his wife, Fanny, meeting anyone else. They had over, they had a bunch of kids, between five and ten children, I'll keep it like that, and leaning more towards the ten. <laughs> They had a bunch of kids, and uh, many of them survived into their 50s, which for that time in the 1800s and 1900s was not the most common thing, you know. I didn't think about my great-grandma getting remarried, but lo and behold, my great-grandma did. Uh, Fanny got remarried, and she bore a child to her second husband. In addition to having several, several children with my great-grandpa, she went and got remarried and had another kid. So just, I guess, some people in my lineage are very, very fertile. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> so that's kind of exciting because I was thinking, oh, there's somebody on the other side of the family that 
there's more relatives that I don't know about. Most of the lineage I've taken a look at that there's been any gene genealogy from my family has been from in-laws or my father's side, which I wasn't. I, my grandma, who liked to keep glass paperweights and hat pins in glass um, display cases with locks on the doors, um, she uh, liked to do genealogy. And she did a bunch of genealogy for my dad's side of the family that I'm not interested in because they were abusive to me, see, so and my family. So the next part is, well, who do you want to find? Because I have these intuitive hits about Delbert, even though I didn't know him. And I guess this is one of the big nuggets I got from the whole research I was doing this last round. I was looking at the, the cemetery in Whitman County in Washington, where my grandmother... Mildred is buried. And when I think about my grandmother and my grandpa, I didn't know my grandpa because he died when my mama was a teen, just barely a teenager. But they have a strong presence together. And when I pray and meditate, um, they're together. And he's always giving me crap about coffee. That's his thing. I'd always kind of wondered about what kind of confirmation would I have that they were together? You know, how would I know that they were still I'm sensing this real strong, strong affinity and unity between those two souls still. When I pray and meditate, they're right there beside each other. You know, it almost reminds me of like in ancient Egypt when you look at some of the, is it Ankhonaten? Some of the pharaohs would have statues that their partners were perceived as equals. And so they would have these carved huge statues of the pharaoh and his wife standing directly next to him with her hand on his back and on his shoulder like I'm helping to support you. And there's this perception that the partner was equal to, you know. So I'd always wondered about the two of them being together, especially because Stan did so much destruction and molested at least eight of us, you know, and harmed at least eight of us. So lo and behold, one of the nuggets I got while I was doing research uh, today is I looked at the graveyard where my grandma's buried in Whitman County in Washington at the particular plot, the particular block, a particular edition, lot, and memorial ID. And then I dug up and was able to find my grandpa, D Delbert, the one that was the good one, the one that I feel a lot of affinity for. As it turns out, in Whitman County, in Washington, at the same plot, and block, and edition, and lot, and grave. They're buried together. <laughs> exact same numbers. Because I was looking at it, I was going, those look like exactly the same numbers, lining right up. And I was like, oh my gosh. So um, my aunt uh, of questionable integrity, I'll put it that way, the aunt of questionable integrity, kind of like a saint of something. She's the uh, aunt, aunt anti-saint. That would be... <laughs> <laughs> that would be the case. I'm grateful that she took care of grandma's remains. And when Delbert passed away, um, I don't know how that got handled because that was a long time ago. It was really satisfying to think about the two of them being buried together because when I pray and meditate, they're very firmly together. They present as a couple. And I really appreciated that confirmation that they were buried together and I, I didn't really know that. Then I started looking through this long line of relatives and there's 
there's multiple families with five plus kids each down the line. And then there's some people getting remarried and you're like going, wow, I, do, I have a lot of relatives I don't really know, which is kind of exciting and also exhausting, you know. <laughs> that reach back was really helpful. That reach back was really helpful. Now, there was another reach back I did this week that caused a little bit of crunch. I had a former lover who shall rename nameless to protect his anonymity that I have some concern for him. I, I worry about him sometimes and I care for him, although he's got a couple challenges that will be chronic for the rest of his life. And uh, every now and again, I do a little Google search and I go, okay, what's up? Or Facebook search. And um, there really hadn't been any updates for a year or two. And then I, I was like, oh, it's been six months to a year. I'm going to do a little Google search. And then it was like, oh, there's been some changes. And then I started reading the changes and there was evidence that somebody was struggling and also that it was wise to detach and be at an arm's length. And yet also, I think the big thing I want to talk about is the love, you know, because there is, there's care and nurturing there. Although it's very strange to be detached like that and still very much love somebody. Uh, I have a sister that I stay in contact with that I feel the same way. I, I very much love this person, yet there's obvious evidence that this person's dysfunctional and harmful. So um, you have to pause and go, well, how do I love them? How do I figure out how to get the love going? You know what I mean? So there's a little bit of that. And uh, that was one reach back I did that I was a little bit, I many times will cause myself to turn away or focus on something else if the overall intention is, um, or if the overall best interests of myself might not be served, right? Sometimes it's just best to keep yourself withdrawn, you know? And I guess I'll round out with this one. Um, I have a YouTube channel where I've got about, oh, half a dozen, dozen little snippets of my mother and I. Uh, some video I took after she had a stroke and landed in the hospital. And we had another five years together, which I was very grateful for. I decided to look up the videos and take a look at some of her videos while she's driving or we're in the park or all this stuff. And I guess the thing that seems to correlate that passes all the way through is that we laughed. We were laughing a lot, like kooky, silly, dorky, you know, wackadoodle, maybe guffaws you might hear uh, in the background of some of the 1970s sitcoms those kind of wackadoodle laughs. Yeah, we that's what we did naturally. <laughs> the regret or the hard thing is sometimes peace and calm and serenity and not having to trust people too close until you get therapy and recovery because you know it's probably best for you before you get intimate again or what have you. You cultivate a sense of like, this feels really good to be calm and know that the bills are going to be paid and that I show up and I work hard. And sometimes other people do or don't do that. Sometimes other people are really good at telling stories. And I can, I don't know, I wouldn't say gullible, but I want to trust that they're best, they're going to do the right thing. And, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes that, you know, pretty words are common. Sometimes they're sincere. Sometimes, right? <laughs> I kind of let this song, this Nobody But You song kind of, I let it pass through me and drink, drink, I drank it in and just kind of felt it kind of absorbed it. And when you're visualizing things you want to create or cultivate or manifest, sometimes it can be painful if you're kind of at a point in your life, well, I'd be happy autonomous potentially. And sometimes there's interest now and again, sometimes there's a date now and again, yet how can I just make this happen on my own and make it work and focus on the self-care and the happiness and then 
while radiating out, you draw things to you. You know what I mean? Um, quite a conundrum. Although in several examples there, reaching back through my ancestors to find out things like my great grandma got remarried and I have another relative and a child. She had so many kids. I mean, she, I, I just couldn't believe I was like, what? She got remarried and had another kid. I like knowing that my grandparents are buried next to each other, even though they're not, they're probably not that interested in our bodies after we're done. What, what is it? I was reading. This is a great way to describe this. When we pass away, we are re-emerging into non-physical. <laughs> Abraham Hicks calls it that, re-emerging into non-physical. And so a way to kind of uh, visualize things without negating things is I sit in my singularity and I want something more. Perception is reality. Actually, that's a quote coming out of Ivanka Trump's mouth, which um, I was looking at a review of Kushner Inc. The author of that book was interviewed recently who was it with? Uh, a political commentator. Was it John Fugelsang? No. I was on the Lincoln Project. Yeah, it was the Lincoln Project. They uh, talked to the author of Kushner, Inc. I learned a lot about Jared Kushner and his background and how his family were hoping that he would become JFK. They, they actually were trying to get their ch children groomed to be JFK. Jared Kushner wanted to be the, the president. He was hoping for that. A lot of things started making sense once I learned his family background and started hearing the author talk about things. And she also had a real estate developer's perspective. She started talking about real estate developers. I worked with a real estate developer going to college for a short period of time as a clerical. And they are a different beast, uh, kind of like surgeons, kind of like real specific cultivated types of things. They have a particular feel to them. Yeah. So there's me and my ancestors this week. How about that? <laughs> the theme I was thinking about was uh, managing the reach back, you know, or when do you reach back, you know, because you may have emotional consequences for a day or two, like in talking about watching my mama's videos or looking at the Facebook page of a an ex-partner, well, mm, lover, I guess I'll put it that way. <laughs> And you sit there and go, well, I think sometimes you just got to go back and touch on it and go, you know, that's what it was. You know, and if it's every year or two or every half a year or year, you know, it's imbalance. Yet, I love valuing that serenity and calm that you understand the reach back can change. It can completely change your emotions about things, you know. And it's just, it strikes me so odd that just looking at somebody's Facebook page can kind of leave you for a day or two going, oh, dear God. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, 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 I dodged something there. Woo, thank you, God. Thank you. Okay, so, and you know what? I've always got work to do, and I could probably improve all kinds of things, so I'll say that. Uh, thank you for coming to the house on Valencia Street where we think about when to reach back and when to pause. I love appreciating the serenity and calm that you have and understanding that another meditation teacher says, you sacrifice your alignment for your interests. <laughs> and it seems like half the day, my energy is spent refocusing, constantly refocusing, because I'll start going off down those familiar paths of negative thought. And that's like, nope, I'm going to focus on something else. Now, it's not denial, because sometimes you just got to process and cry, yet isn't it great to know you can choose to focus on a feeling that makes you feel really good and competent? 
Mm, take some practice, let me tell you. I'm, I'm trying to apply this one day at a time. Yeah? Okay. Well, on that note, thank you for coming up to the house on Valencia Street where we talk about intuition, ancestors that get to be together, and um, knowing that those that you love that might be in the background or might be in the way back time machine, you might want to be real choosy about when you let yourself take a look and drink it in again. Because if you got a human heart, it'll probably be with you for a little while, yeah? Hmm. Please understand that you're not alone. You're never going to be alone. Not here at the house on Valencia Street. Sometimes it's um, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs>